you're listening to a Two Jackets podcast. Check out more at twojackets.com. Welcome to Sham Fiction, the podcast where we break the first rule of fan fiction, that you have to be a fan to write it. We're Two Jackets Productions. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Marcus. Here's the format. Each installment, Andrew, Eric, or Marcus will be presented with a media franchise that they are unfamiliar with and challenged to write fan fiction about it. We'll start by giving the author some basics, like characters, overarching plots, and those special elements that make each franchise great. The author will then take this info, throw out what they don't like, add a generous helping of creative license, and come back ready to read their masterpiece for all of us to enjoy. It's fan fiction written by non-fans. It's sham fiction. This week's author is Marcus. Hey, boys. A sham, bam, thank you, (laughs) ma'am. What do you got for me? Oh, my gosh. Marcus, um, we are going to do something that we actually haven't done yet, which is an animated film. Animation. Be excited. Uh, we are is it giving be you problematic that I can't draw very well. That's that's fine because you just need to do rough storyboards for the purposes of this sham fiction, and then we'll just describe them in detail, and the audience will fill in the detail <laughs> for oh, us. Man, man, you're already turning me <laughs> off as a listener. Let's <laughs> hope that's not the case. All right, no, you can keep it prose. You can keep right. it prose. Uh, this is this this episode is all about a fantastic film called Howl's Moving Castle. Ooh, yep, it's a uh, Studio Ghibli film uh, directed by Hayao Miyazaki. I'm sorry, Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, and and just answer me this, Marcus. Do you know anything about Miyazaki before we begin? I've seen some Miyazaki films. Which ones so have you seen? I've seen Spirited Away. Oh, it's yep. a great one. Like Makes Spirited sense. Away, I've seen Princess Mononoke. Oh, another mm-hmm. good one. Awesome. I can't remember if I've seen any more, but I've seen those two. Those are good ones. And I have, I have Totoro. I haven't watched it. Uh, oh, sure. Because we talked about maybe shamming that at some point, but I should oh, yeah. watch it because I, I picked it up as a bundle uh, at one point. Definitely check it out. Yeah. No, Spirited Away. Yeah. Spirited Away, I think, is my favorite. I love that one. Oh, Spirited so good. Away is the one. I mean, that's that's probably the best one. It is the, I mean, Spirited Away, we're not doing that for this episode, but that's like the highest uh, grossing film in Japanese film history. Like, not just animated. We're talking films. Wow. Yeah. Like, uh, Hayao Miyazaki is... A big shot in Japanese filmmaking, not just Japanese animation. We're talking filmmaking in general. Yeah. And uh, this uh, film, Howl's Moving Castle, came out on June seventeenth, two thousand five, in the U.S. It came out before that in November two thousand four, in Japan. Um, in the U.S. version, voices are provided by uh, such stars as Gene Simmons. That's that's. Uh, <laughs> The lady Jean, not the Jean oh. Simmons you're thinking of. <laughs> I'm really sad, no. No, nope, that is our that is our lead. Uh Emily Mortimer is in this. Christian Bale Ooh. is in this. He uh, sure is. Batman himself, and he flexes that Batman voice real he good. Does. He does at one uh, point. Yeah. Uh and then uh wrapping it out with some of the other bigger stars, Lauren Bacall and Billy Crystal all are in this uh in the u.s version i don't know the cast of the japanese version but i've never seen the japanese version so we're just stick with this oh man we just lost all our anime fans they're, they're, they're uh, gone they like, they've locked been, out the door you've been watching the dubs and not the subs ah. 
So this uh, <laughs> All right, came, came out from Disney in the U.S. Um, so you can get it on D- Disney DVD and Blu-ray. And that's pretty much it because it's Disney and Disney locks that down. Mm-hmm. So if you want to watch this film, either find some sketchy way to stream it or I'd rather you pay money. And pick up the Blu-ray, because it's beautiful. I'd rather you, too. It, it would be very irresponsible of you to stream it through some shady website. Not, I believe you definitely that didn't I didn't do that. Do that. <laughs> Miyazaki is, is done making films, correct? So they, they have a complete works of Hayao Miyazaki up on Amazon. Oh, that's fantastic. I, mm-hmm. I know that the version I watched is from an older Studio Ghibli collection, um, but yes, that's fantastic. Pick pick that up for sure. That's actually going on my Christmas list, making a note for myself. Uh, so this film, this, this piece of animated brilliance, uh, is something that's actually a little uh, divisive for Andrew and Ooh. myself, because I personally love it. Uh, Andrew, what are your what are your thoughts? So I hadn't seen this in a while, and I remember liking it quite a bit. Saw it in college, I think. And rewatching it this week, I did not like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Was it the poor streaming quality? No, no, I streamed this thing in HD. Um, <laughs> it's just, man, yeah, I just wasn't that into it. I think it has a really strong central character, and then the rest of it is just kind of like... There's plenty. I mean, I I adore Miyazaki. I've seen a lot of his films, and there's plenty there to love for Miyazaki fans. And I think that's kind of what carried me through it. Sure. So I you're mean, saying I have an opportunity to win you over. Oh yeah, yeah. That's 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 your goal. That's what you have to do. <laughs> Got it. And I should also mention before getting too deep into it that this uh, film was actually based on a novel by uh, Diana Wynne Jones. Uh, hmm. So it's based on a novel. I haven't read the novel, which I could say if it's close to it at all, but I can't. Um, but I love this thing because it's imaginative, it's beautiful, it's it's got magic and, and wonder all over the place. Um, and it's very much uh, <laughs> it's very much steampunk. Uh, so that's really the first big Mm -hmm. thing for world texture is that everything is very advanced. They have flying machines, they have, uh, trains and, and a a moving castle. Everything is steam powered. Everything is, is copper and pistons and beautiful. Um, the setting, the location is, I, I don't know exactly. It's something like Europe in the early 20th century. Um, it's like maybe Germany, maybe yeah. It's something? it's a mixture of like Bavarian architecture and like Parisian. Yeah. It's a it's like a it's like both. Yeah, that's a good good description. Uh, but it is a fantasy world. It doesn't take place in our world. Um, so just to kind of kind of get the ball rolling, we have our main characters and and Andrew, since you. Doug, our main character. Why don't you tell me about Sophie? Sophie! So Sophie, uh, she's a young woman. Uh, she works in a hat shop. Uh, it's in, it's like her family's hat shop. Her fa- father owned mm-hmm. it and he passed away. And now she's taking charge. Um, she's kind of shy and meek. She's not comfortable in her own skin yet. Um, and she doesn't get out a whole lot. So no. when Howell sweeps into her life, her whole life kind of changes. Um... That, well, I should say not just Howl, when magic kind of enters her life. Um, so this is a world that magic exists, 
And what happens to Sophie is she encounters the Witch of the Wastes, who is a very mysterious figure. We'll get to her in a bit. But the witch turns Sophie into an old woman. Yes. It's a curse. She has been cursed. Cursed by the witch. Um, and part of that curse is that she can't tell anybody about it. She is, like, physically <laughs> unable when she tries her mouth, like, puckers up and she can't do it. Um, so here she is, a young lady in an old woman's body, and she's trying to find a way to solve this curse on her. Um, and then, but right away, she, uh, in addition to the witch in the waste, she meets Howl and, uh, Eric, would you dive into Howl a little bit? Yeah. So Howl, the titular character is a very strange person. Um, he is a wizard and in this world, wizards have, uh, have the magic power. You can be trained up. You, there's an academy of magic that is mentioned, uh, and it's all sanctioned by, uh, the king and the government, um, so you, when you sign your your uh, certificate to be a wizard, you are basically pledging your services to the government. So they can call upon you in time of war. And guess what? This is a time of war. Uh, so whatever the kingdom that they're in is, because I actually don't know the name. Don't I don't know it. if they ever mention it. They, they literally, near the end, they, they refer to their opponent as the neighboring kingdom. So... That detail apparently doesn't matter to the <laughs> filmmakers either. Um, so Howell is a wizard, uh, and so he has all those responsibilities attached, but he doesn't like those responsibilities, and he has several aliases. Uh, so he is, and he has several different shops. So Howell uh, masquerades, or not masquerades, he just poses as uh, a wizard named uh, Pendragon in one city, and he calls himself uh, Jenkins in another city. So the great wizard Pendragon and the great wizard Jenkins are all actually the great wizard Howell. Uh, Howell lives in, guess what? A moving castle. Huh. I, I bet you didn't see that coming. Um, and so, this castle is magically connected to all the other wizard shops. Like the door of so this cool. castle is you, uh, uh, you, you magically switch the dial to a different location, and when you open up the door, it's the other shop. So can it go to any second cup exterior? Nope. <laughs> All second cup exteriors do not lead to the same second cup interior. <laughs> but that I don't know. is. I lived in Toronto for a few months, and I never figured that out. <laughs> But that is basically the idea. So, um, so that's what happens. He's he's actually living in this moving castle, but it has portals in other places. Basically, um, Howell, as a descriptor, he is he's totally dreamy. So he's dreamy. He's tall. He's lithe. He has long blonde hair. He is uh, just sexy. He's beautiful, and he knows it. And he says it at one just point. Describe more about his character. Oh yeah. Tell, tell me, oh, tell yeah. me, tell me a little bit more. No, I just <laughs> because there, there's not there, there is nothing. There's nothing more about about this character. Um, he is completely boring and doesn't make any sense. Ah, <laughs> uh, you don't know what you're talking about. 
Ugh, but he he does say at one point, um, and this is the last thing I will say about him for now, is what's the point of living if I can't be beautiful? So if, if that doesn't... Is he Johnny Bravo? <laughs> yes, yes he kind is. Of. Just he write him as well Johnny be. Bravo. Well, what's the point of living if I can't be beautiful? <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, but yeah, that's it, if that doesn't say everything about his character, I don't know what does. So anyway, that's that's how. Uh, yeah. So additionally, and, at, uh, in the castle, um, there's a couple other characters. Uh, I think my favorite, voiced by Billy Crystal, is uh, Calcifer, and Calcifer, Calcifer is a fire demon. He lives in the hearth, in uh, in the central room of the castle, and he powers it. Um, without Calcifer, the castle would not move. Uh, it would fall apart, in fact, yeah. because it's just being held together by the demon magic of Calcifer. Yeah, and uh, something that I, uh, we should kind of maybe explain as part of, like, well, and I should, well, here, I'll stand on Calcifer for a second. So Calcifer, he's voiced by Billy Crystal, so he kind of yeah. has the Billy Crystal attitude. Like, that's the character. Like, he's... <laughs> yeah that's that's it it's just like imagine what you think like the billy crystal personality and that is calcifer he's a mensch he's a mensch Uh, (laughs) he uh he kind of yells when he gets excited and flares up he looks like a little flame like that's that's he he looks like fire like that's depend he is as big or small depending on the fuel source the wood beneath him or just how angry or animated he's feeling Mm mm-hmm um but yeah he powers the whole the whole castle um how about uh how about the little kid we got a little child in this yeah story. that's markle uh you, <laughs> what was that it's 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 hard it's it's markle it's, so it's mark markle with an l at the end oh i thought it was just marco no it's markle Oh, weird. I had to look it up because I couldn't understand what they were saying. (laughs) I've been hearing it wrong this whole time. Yeah, I thought it was Marco, too, but it's Markle. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and he, again, uh, beyond being a little boy. um, Eric, maybe you can talk more about this character. Okay, 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 fine, fine. I'm just sensing Andrew's overwhelming love of this property. (laughs) Oh, it's fantastic. I'm trying to involve you, and you're just pushing me away. Uh, So Markle, Markle. He's a kid. He's an apprentice of Howell. He lives in the castle. Um, And uh, all I'm going to tell you is that when he talks to people outside the castle, he puts on a big bushy beard. He's a a little kid with a big bushy beard. That's that's all you need. Um, So there's not much to him. He's he's a very simple character. Uh, So just plot wise... Um, Can I really quickly describe something, Eric? Yeah, yeah I absolutely. just want to dive in here. So um, we haven't really described the castle all that much. So Ooh, please do. The castle, it's not a castle. You know, it doesn't look like a castle with turrets and stuff. It looks like a big jumble of steampunk weird, like, things. Like, it's, it's, it's just like a pile <laughs> of junk, like, that's on legs. It walks yeah. with, like, chicken it's legs. Like, four chicken yeah. legs it doesn't roll you know it's not on wheels it walks and it's always puffing steam it's just kind of like a mound of like little buildings piled on top of each other it's that's a good description it's like all the like the the these rooms and pieces of buildings kind of 
picked up and got thrown together into a pile. And the pile, it looks kind of like part warship. It has these weird, like, four, I think, chicken legs on yeah. it that kind of walk it around. Um, it's got a back door that kind of is below it, below its keister, kind of sticks out the kinda back like so you can get in and out. Yeah. Um, it's got a face. Like, it's got this this giant mouth and, like, these sort of eye-looking things that are made out of, like, what look like giant cannons. So it's got these kind of boggled eye sort of look to it, like stock eyes. It's strange. It's a creature, for sure. Is it, is it kind of like the uh, the burrow from the Harry Potter series? Just it, held together by magic rooms on top of rooms? It's like the burrow uh, mated with a warship and grew legs... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the burrow is actually a really good like comparison. Absolutely, um, most of the action takes place in the central room, which is where Calcifer is, which just kind of looks like a living room, dining room area. It's kind of strange yeah. that it's just it kind looks, of a simple room. It it's maybe what you'd expect if you actually went inside one of these wizards' shops. You go up a set of stairs, and you're in a main room. There's a big hearth on the left. Uh, there's just kind of living space. It doesn't really look like a castle. It just looks kind of a normal pedestrian sort of room. Uh, but uh, good, big, big important point here is that it's a sty. It is a mess. It is a wreck. And that's what Sophie sees when she arrives there for the first time. Because you see, when Sophie gets turned into an old lady, she just she decides to leave. She's got to find a way to to lift the curse even though she can't talk about it she finds howl who mm-hmm. uh she met in before she turned into an old lady so she knows this guy exists and is a wizard uh she wanders off into the wastes um and comes across this giant moving castle and then goes inside and basically just moves in of her own volition. <laughs> yeah, she just kind of takes control because she's, you know, she's an old woman at this point, so she's kind of saucy, kind of sassy. Um, yeah, and she's and just kinda... like, I'm the new cleaning lady now because this place <laughs> is a mess. And everyone's just kind of like, okay, I guess. Um, so the, <laughs> the amazing thing with Sophie is that she, when she's an old lady, she basically, her personality changes because this okay. old lady visage is like armor to her. She is not afraid to say what's on her mind or to do what she wants to do because she is impervious as an old woman. Because what are you going to do to me? I'm an old lady. You know, she's not afraid of anything. And so this is kind of something that comes about throughout the movie is that occasionally she will change in that she doesn't look as old anymore. Like maybe she looks a good 20 years younger. And then sometimes she's completely young again. Huh. Like it's for really instance, cool. When she sleeps, she is a young woman. Um, and what that is, I kind of had to, to look up some, some theories before I, I came across like a good explanation because she's, it's, it's not completely clear like oh is she um turning into an old lady when she's feeling uh bold when she's feeling sassy uh but no it's it's this weird dynamic where um when she feels like she needs to hide when she feels like she can't be herself she is an old lady and when she doesn't have to put up that disguise she's herself so like when she sleeps you know She's herself because she doesn't. She can be herself. 
Yeah, and we don't know what the it exactly is. I don't. Th- did you? Are you basing that kind of off of like what you saw in the film and what uh, you read online? Is that kind well, of the idea? Ma- yeah, like it it matches up with the film pretty much perfectly. Um, but there's no like really agreed upon theory. Like yeah. a lot of people ask the question and not a lot of people can answer it. This is the most satisfying answer it's good. I found. Yeah. That made it's your me kind head-cannon. of Yeah, it's head canon. Yeah, see, because I but, like I didn't look up anything, but like the way I saw it is that because this is kind of this story of her finding love, um, and whatever kind of love for the family that is this makeshift family that has been created in the castle comes out, she starts to become more youthful. Um but yeah, it's kind of unexplained. And they don't know how to break the curse. The the Witch of the Waste who gave it to her doesn't even know how to do it. They, she runs into her later, and she's like, yeah, I don't remember how to do that. Sorry. Yeah, she's like, I'm good at, at cursing people, not lifting curses, lady. <laughs> um, and if, what am I, if some the, sort of unbender? <laughs> so if the Witch of the Waste plays into your uh, story at all, I'll just give her you a brief description. She's uh, She's a lump. She is a giant lump. Um, she's like eight feet tall. It's scary. Um, and she's being kept like somewhat youthful by the power of her magic. But she is just this this sagging giant lump. <laughs> it's hard to describe. Like <laughs> when, visually, when like, she is something she, else. When she's like in full power and like together. Yeah, she's tall. She's broad chested. You know, she's just like very like, like she's like a giant monolith of a lady. And then on top, she's just like necks. There's just like necks folding out from underneath her head. (laughs) Necks upon necks. Necks upon necks. It's fantastic. That lady's got necks for days. She does. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so um, that's the basics. There are a few other characters, but honestly, I kind of don't want to tell you much beyond Sophie showing up at this house and the characters that are in the house. Um, I will tell you something about Howell. Mm-hmm. He um, is kind of letting his magic get away from him in that he often does this thing where he turns into a big black bird. He's like a bird man, and he uses that to kind of fly around. And um, he's kind of getting involved in the war that's going on. So he'll turn into a bird, go off, and basically try to sabotage these warships because he hates war, and he wants everybody to stop fighting. And he doesn't want to fight for a side because that would be wrong because it's an it's an unjust war. So he's kind of going off on his own as a scary blackbird thing and sabotaging ships. Um, he, the more he does this though, the more kind of monstrous he's getting. So yeah, it's established at one on. point. Um, a character mentions that if he keeps doing it and stays the bird longer and longer, he will eventually just become the bird, become the monster, and never turn back and forget who he is. Oh yeah, and that's something that's actually been happening to other wizards. Is that uh, the government? You know, they're they're employing wizards, but what they're doing is they're basically turning these wizards into these beasts, and the, they're just staying beasts and being used as war monsters. It's it's scary and no good. So that would basically happen to him. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of the big thing. Sophie's trying to lift the curse. She is now the cleaning lady at uh, this moving castle with Howell and Markle and Calcifer. And and that's kind of where I want to leave it because going further than that is just, it's going to give you too much. I think 
I don't even have like a scene that I'd like to see from you. I kind of really want to see where you can go with this. Like, I'm not even worried about it. Whatever you do, not being anything like the story. I'm fine with that. I just want to see what you do with this info. Yeah. So what do you need from us? Where are you? Where's your head at? What do you? So a couple questions. Uh, you refer to the wastes. What are the wastes? So the wastes. Um, so Sophie lives in this. Um, uh, it's a, not a big city. It's kind of a, it's a town. Um, and it's right on the edge of the wastes, which are like moors. Um, okay. They are rocky and hilly. They're, the whole place is also kind of surrounded by mountains. It's very beautiful. Um, but the wastes are scary because Howl is out there and the people in town don't know what they see the castle from time to time. But Howl is kind of a mysterious figure to them. Um, so it's like foggy moors. Yeah. Okay. And the witch of the waste uh, because that's the the wastes in question. She is a, basically a rival to Howl, um, so she's just trying to get at him for some old wound that he inflicted. So that's what's going on there. Any other questions? The you other just, question yeah. is: Does anyone know about Sophie's curse? I know she can't tell them, but when she shows up and starts changing age, does anyone say, "Oh, she's probably cursed"? Uh, yet, so here's the thing. Calcifer knows. He can just see it. He's like, oh, that's a heck of a curse you got there, lady. Oh, yeah, that's right. And he'd, he'd say it like that because he's Billy Crystal. Um, <laughs> and then Howell does see, uh, that she is changing. He doesn't pry, he doesn't ask about it, but he knows enough magic to know a curse when he sees one. So I think everybody in this is savvy enough that they sort of know what's going on. But it's not like, oh, you have a curse. Tell me about your curse, and we should try to fix it. That's not what's going on. It's like everybody's cursed, and that's kind of like a standard issue thing. It's like, oh, everybody carries baggage. Well, everybody carries curses. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you want to kind of run down your notes? Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm excited. So the first thing that's good to know is that this is Howl's Moving Castle, not Castle in the Sky, which yes, is it's not what Howl's... I thought we were talking about. Right. Oh, uh, gotcha. I haven't seen that either, but when he described the castle, I was like, wait a second, this isn't a big flying castle. <laughs> <laughs> Easy but, mistake to make. All right, so let's go through this. This is Howl's Moving Castle. It is based on a novel. It's very steampunky, anime-style Lots of whimsical magic, commonplace. And then you have some characters here in the setting that's kind of like 20th century Europe, maybe Germany, maybe Paris, Bavarian. We don't really know. Uh, these characters are either great or awful, depending on who you ask. <laughs> so you have you have Sophie, who is a young hat shopper uh, or hat shop <laughs> peddler. <laughs> and she... Uh, she doesn't pedal the shop. She pedals the hats in the shop, the family shop. <laughs> she uh, runs afoul of the old Witch of the Waste, which is a bummer because old Lumpy McNex uh, gives her a curse where she becomes old. And, of course, Sophie, having met Howl, the most vain Johnny Bravo-esque character, says, that's the guy I want to go hang out with, even though he thinks that when I'm old, I don't have any reason to live. So she goes in and just starts cleaning up because the place is a sty, so that seems like the obvious thing to do. Uh, she strikes up some conversations with the hearth, Calcifer, the demon in the hearth, the fire demon, who is Billy Crystal through and through. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. Which I'm very excited for. And he's just, just Frank, you know, knows that she has a curse. 
You have Markle, who exists for some reason. He uh, puts on a beard, why not, when he goes outside? And uh, he is a a wizard in training. The wizards have this rule that you have to sign over to king and country when you train to be a wizard at the academy. But apparently that rule doesn't matter at all, because Hal's just doing whatever he wants with his moving castle. Uh And uh, he's kind of turning into a beast, but not for the man. He's turning into the beast for himself. Fighting, fighting against both sides, because war, man, whew, what is it good for? And, uh, pretty much everybody's cursed. Uh, say it again. And <laughs> I think that's that's about about uh, it. I mean, I've got some characters, I got some setting. It sure. seems like you know it's a Miyazaki film, so I'll try to get some of that whimsy in it. What uh, sure. what else would you guys like to see from me? What are some bonus points? Uh, well, I'm going to point out really quick that the relationship between Howl and Sophie is uh, it's it is sweet. Um, Howl he doesn't necessarily care about Sophie's beauty. He only cares about his own beauty. So he is vain, but he's not judgmental. Um, so bonus points. Uh, mine is. It's based on a character, which I don't even know if you can call a character. It's based on a detail I haven't even explained yet. (laughs) Good, Uh, good. Because it's really easy to explain. When Sophie is heading to the moving castle, before she gets there, she meets a scarecrow with the head of a turnip that is sentient. It's It's a live moving scarecrow it's just on a long stick with a turnip head and it bounces around like that's its form of locomotion is hopping around because it has a stick body and i guess when you have a stick body you hop so that's turnip head its name is turnip head according to sophie i'm gonna call you turnip head turnip head can't talk uh but i i will say this Later in the film, like at the very end of the film, it is revealed that Turniphead is a person under a curse, a nasty curse, just like everybody else has. But the reveal, and this is where I'm going to side with Andrew, is so dissatisfying and, and crappy that my bonus point is if you can manage to reveal who Turniphead is and make me actually give a crap. So, yeah, it's it's I understand it's kind of an out there request because it means you have to bring in like an extra character and sort of explain some stuff. So if you don't want to do it, I wouldn't blame you. But this will give you full points from me if you can tell me who Turniphead is and have it not be crappy. Got it. (laughs) Doesn't take much. And (laughs) my bonus points. Are, so this is Miyazaki, and I think we've dis- we've discussed some tropes of his. Um, one big thing, like with the the beautiful natural environments, and then the fog, and 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 and, and machines of war. You know, that's a big mm-hmm. thing. Another thing are creatures. So he's big on Ooh. strange creatures. Um, so <laughs> I want to see some weird messed up Miyazaki creatures in there. You know, maybe draw upon some of your knowledge of his past work. Whatever it takes, get something in there. If it's a little blobby, that's probably you're probably going in the right direction because there's lots Blob, of blobby things. Blobby is a good, good direction <laughs> for this one. Uh, possibly wearing straw hats. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Or any sort of hat. 
for some reason, all these strange creatures are wearing hats at some point. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Creatures, if I know one thing about creatures, is that they love hats. <laughs> <laughs> so being in the hat shop business is the way to go. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's an easy so choice for Sophie. I, I, th- that's it. I know there's not a lot of direction as far as what kind of scene you could do. Um, and maybe Andrew has a, another idea. But I honestly, I just want to see you do something creative and new. Guys, I'm just happy I don't have to do a British accent or 20 characters. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm pretty thrilled with this assignment. Good. So, oh, good. Oh, you know what, though? Speaking of voices, there's one more commandment. Ooh. And this isn't a bonus point. This is a commandment. <gasps> if Howell is a bird monster, he is Batman. <laughs> He must speak in the growliest, graveliest gravel of a growl you got in you. <laughs> Does he uh, ask Tanks to perhaps swear to me? He could. I think he did he, at one he, point. It, it would be in the realm of possibility with this film. Good. Yes. So go for that. Um, also, if there's a war machine and it's like, oh, this is a tank. It's ground based, right? No, just make it fly. Yep. It's Miyazaki. Make everything Things fly. fly. Make it, uh-huh. make it airborne. That's it. Uh, we could keep talking. I'd keep thinking of more crap like this, but you should probably just <laughs> scamper off and go write this. Oh, I'm going to scamper, guys. And uh, commune with the spirits and come back with something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, confidence. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so torn. I, I just don't know. Should I make something Andrew hates or should I make something? <laughs> make me love. Something, uh, make yeah. me love. <laughs> Well, I will love this, and I'll uh, bring the love back in a bit. Hey, podcast people. If you like subscribing to things, I highly suggest you subscribe to Sham Fiction. Even if you don't like subscribing, it's, it's a good habit to get into. Why? Because when you subscribe, you'll get a new episode of Sham Fiction delivered straight to your magical pocket device every single Sunday. If you're feeling generous, you could rate our show as well. Either way, subscribing on iTunes is the best way to tell us that you're listening to Sham Fiction, and that helps us out greatly. So thanks for listening to the show. I hope you're enjoying it. Let's get back to it. Okay, Andrew, while Marcus is off writing Howl's Moving Castle, uh, we should talk because uh, we, we didn't give him much of a specific assignment here, and I'm really curious to know what you think he's going to bring to the table, because I have no idea. Yeah, but isn't that exciting? You know, like... It, it is. He can do whatever he wants. I mean, we gave him a lot of the texture of the world, the, the place, the people, and it's Miyazaki. He's seen Spirited Away. He's seen others, so I think he has a good idea of the flavor of everything, uh, the goopy, sure. goopy flavor of everything. Um <laughs> So for me, um, in addition to yeah, wanting the, uh, the the weird monsters, the weird creatures, um, I also want to see some really fun steampunk stuff. Um, we des- we describe the world as this steampunk world. We describe the castle yeah. as this you know this melange of crap all stacked up and steaming on top of each other. So um, I'm hoping he has a lot of fun with that technology and those elements because that's kind of Marx's thing. He likes he likes tech. He likes describing sure. tech at length. So. Uh, uh, I think we're gonna get some of that. What about you? You know, I I, I just like your your use of the word melange. Yeah, 
and I think that is going to be the extra secret sham fiction word of the day. <laughs> so if if Marcus uses the word melange in his script, he's getting full points no matter what crap he writes. Really... He could write he could write a story about I don't know uh, uh, oh, World War Two. Are we making and, up uh, a, a, a new secret bonus point rule on the fly here? This was there's no previous discussion in this people. No he was just making no, this stuff but, up. But I, I just really like the word melange. It's a good word. It, it yeah, just so popped he can in there. Anything, and if he puts that in there, it's fine. Um, so this is tricky because, uh, and I'm thinking about a real uh, secret bonus point. I really want him to do something with um, with the kid with the beard. I hope there is at least a good description of that beard in here. Oh, just uh, a really Markle, Markle's beard. Markle. I don't know if the character's even going to be in there, but if he's in there, I just want to see a really good beard on him. Yeah, well, I, uh, I, yeah, that'd be great. Like just like the, like he goes into good detail about the beard, like what's trapped in there. Maybe what Markle. Yeah, I mean, I want him to to go, get excessive. If if he was at all turned on by our description of Markle, I hope there's just. I, I hope it's 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 I hope he's in there. That's it. Interesting. I mean, I don't even I don't even care. I just want Markle to appear. I want him to be a bigger part than he is in the in the movie. I don't think it's gonna happen, but it's just something I want to see right now because that's the weirdo mood I'm in, and I want to hear him use the word melange. <laughs> Markle was stuffed into a melange of beard. <laughs> <laughs> you got I don't it. I think that really works, steampunk. but. Uh... Are we good? Can we bring it back yeah, in? Yeah, we're good. Let's bring him in. All right, let's do it. Let's just hear this thing. Hey, guys, I just turned the dial, and I am back from my wizard hut, ready to share a story with you. <laughs> wizard hut! Off to a good start. Uh, Howl's moving wizard hut. Howl, <laughs> Howl at the moons. Wolving. Wolving? <laughs> wizard hut. I wish uh-huh. it was just a wizard castle made out of wolves. Now I need to go rewrite the wolving hut. We'll give you time if you need to. Okay, let's play that music again. I'll come back. Writing music. Okay. Alright, guys. I'm uh, I'm ready to share a story with you. Please yeah, do. Hopefully, hopefully tickles your fancies. Oh. I hope. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is one of our clean episodes, so I wasn't. I had to stop myself from saying something else. <laughs> save it. Save it for, uh, you know, other yep. things. Oh, I know what to save it for. All right. All right. Here we go. The castle moved, its spindly legs reaching out one step at a time over the rocky wastes. The whir of gears and whistle of steam played their music as Sophie slept. At first, she had had trouble getting used to life with the great wizard Howl and his fantastic moving castle. The towering structure made up of little buildings that had agreed not to fall apart despite the inclinations of gravity was as different from her humble hat shop as Sophie could imagine. Now she felt at home enough to sleep in her little room at the end of her long days of cleaning. The rocking gate of the castle became a comfort. The wailing of valves and the tittering of spirits as they rolled off the ground and were left in the castle's wake didn't even cause her to stir. When she slept, she was whole, she was safe, and her curse seemed to belong to another life. Then, the castle stopped. Sophie was thrown from her bed by the sudden action, and the reality of her situation quickly returned to her. As she scrambled to get dressed and put on her white working hat, her looking glass showed a woman who was getting older by the minute, until all that was left of Sophie's youth was gone. So had been the pattern for weeks, 
with Sophie seeing glimpses of the girl she truly was before the weight of the day took hold of her. But she had no time to reflect. Hal was gone again, and if the castle had stopped on his path through the waste, someone would have to deal with whatever had caused the interruption. Withered again by age that wasn't hers, Sophie felt the need to take charge. She made her way past the hearth room and outside onto the castle's landing. Immediately, she scanned the horizon for signs of ambush. The neighboring kingdom had become bold, and she wouldn't be surprised to see them attacking a wizard's home, especially when he wasn't around. But in front of her, she saw no machines of war. Only a rocky path, the boy Markle, and a scarecrow. Can we keep him? Markle exclaimed. <laughs> Attempting to match the appearance of his scratchy going-outside beard with an appropriately grizzled voice. <laughs> Sophie smiled. She tousled his hair, then lowered the copper steps from the landing to the ground, and made her way down to better inspect the scarecrow. Marco followed, running circles around her and the scarecrow, with shouts of, Please, 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 can we please? (laughs) (laughs) Now that she could see the scarecrow up close, she realized that she recognized it. Turnip head? She said softly. Turnip head responded to this by bouncing up and down excitedly. That's a stupid (laughs) name, said the boy. I want to call him Allison. (laughs) How did you get out here, Sophie mused She had seen him once before she came to the castle And something had stood out to her then No, it wasn't that he was a living scarecrow with the white red head of a turnip She had seen spirits take odder shapes than that It was something about his hat Blue and soft, crumpled, but loved So can we? Can we keep Allison, please, please? Markle brought Sophie back to the present There might not be any enemies she could see, but that didn't mean there wouldn't be soon. They had to get out of the waste as quickly as they could and hope that Hal returned before they found any more trouble. We're leaving, Sophie said, but the boy wouldn't quit. Please, I'll take care of him. I'll feed him um, if he eats, and I'll clean up after him, and he won't even know he's there. (laughs) Sophie looked from Markle's pleading eyes behind his bushy gray beard to turnip head, bouncing with a fervor. Something about that blue hat wouldn't let her say no. Fine, she said. But if Hal says he goes, he's gone. I don't know how he'll take to a scarecrow. And you are responsible for him. I don't even want to see him around the castle. Over the next two weeks, Sophie saw more of Turniphead than she did of Markle. The boy had quickly grown tired of his new companion, stating, Allison's no fun anymore. All she ever wants to do is bother you. Turniphead had been bothering her. If it wasn't for the hat, Sophie expected she would have thrown him into the hearth fire by now, despite Calcifer's objections. But she just couldn't place it. It was one more mystery to distract her from her work and keep her from finding a cure to her curse. She woke early in the morning with the high hopes of cleaning before a turnip head could harass her. She ignored her reflection as she felt herself aging. She would have time to worry about that later. Once she did her work, she could focus on herself as much as she wanted. Mercifully, turnip head was nowhere to be seen in the early morning dark of the hearth room. She asked Calcifer to put out just enough light for her to see without drawing attention from anyone else in the castle. He glowed a soft red in response. As she scrubbed the stone floor, Sophie's thoughts were only of herself. The sight of her gnarled fingers nearly brought her to tears. She remembered feeling like she was getting older even before the Witch of the Waste had cursed her. But then she had felt like she had a whole life ahead of her to figure out what that would mean. Now she missed her simple hat shop and the days of endless possibility even if she had squandered them in her meekness. Before long, the sun's light outshone the dim flame of the hearth, and the spirits of the castle came out to join her. Spiders danced in the corner of the room, and their ballet created beautiful webs that Sophie would have to clean tomorrow. Mice ran here and there delivering messages with great import, 
Anne Crumbly came out to see what she might be able to eat. <laughs> Sophie liked Crumbly. She was a spirit with five hands and a giant mouth who only ate crumbs. She would roll about on her hands, using her arms like the spokes of a wheel, and pick up any crumbs that had been left on the floor. These were promptly devoured. Once, Sophie had tried to feed her a whole piece of bread as thanks for helping with the cleaning, but Crumbly had refused. Even after Sophie had crumbled the bread for her, the spirit would not eat it. Apparently, she only cared for crumbs that had been discarded naturally. Spirits. As much as Sophie liked Crumbly, the spirit was loud, and her morning racket finally brought Turnip Head out from whatever corner of the castle he had been hiding in. Go away, Sophie shouted. But Turnip Head just bounced happily next to her. The wooden stick that supported his body tonked merrily on the stone as he jumped. Tonk, tonk, tonk. As Sophie's anger grew, so did the pain in her fingers, as they seemed to become even more wizened. Please, just leave me alone. I have other problems to deal with. Hey, would you go easy on the kid? Calcifer chimed in. <laughs> it wasn't the first time the flame demon had stood in Turniphead's defense. This isn't about the kid, Sophie said, pulling herself to her feet with great effort. I don't care that Markle's not here. He's just a boy. This is about Turniphead and his incessant bouncing. I'm just saying that you haven't been very nice to... Nice? I'm sorry. Who has been nice to me? I've been... She tried to say cursed, but the word wouldn't come out. Working and working, and I've had enough. I don't have time for foolish things to get in my way. Sophie spun on Turnip Head, calling on her rage to hold back the tears from the outrage over her situation. She prodded him as he walked. With each step, she could feel her age increasing, but she pushed through it. You can't come in here and bother me every day. You have no idea who I am or what I've been through. I've had enough, and you will leave me alone. She shoved him as she spoke these last words. And though it was the tired push of an old woman, it didn't take much to knock the stick off its balance. Turnip Head crashed to the floor, and his old blue hat came rolling off his head and landed in the fire of the hearth. The motion that made him bounce as he stood now looked like cowering on the floor. Sophie looked from the pitiful scarecrow to the hat that caught flame, and suddenly she remembered how she knew him. She was standing over Turnip Head in the same way a witch had once stood over a poor boy in front of Sophie's hat shop. The boy had gotten in the witch's way, and she had struck him to the ground, knocking his hat free. The witch saw the desperation with which the boy had scrambled for his hat, and snapped her fingers, causing it to burn. The boy had laid there sobbing and rocking back and forth until the witch left. He was clearly one of the city's orphans, from the war, and that hat had been his only prize. All those years ago, Sophie had seen this tragedy, and acted without a thought for herself. She had walked to the boy, picked him up off his feet, and placed her own blue hat on his head until he stopped crying. She had even given him some vegetables to eat. Seeing Turnip Head now, it wasn't hard to imagine that the boy had sought out the witch again, and walked away with a curse much greater than Sophie's. In that moment, she realized that there was only one thing she could do, no matter how much it hurt her in her withered state. Sophie walked up to the twitching scarecrow and pulled him up off the ground. The effort became easier as she moved and her arms began to feel stronger. By the time they were both upright, Sophie was tall enough that she was able to take the white work hat off her head and place it on top of the scarecrow. Amazingly, a smile formed on the white base of the turnip. Then the scarecrow was gone, replaced by a boy that Sophie still remembered. I knew you'd save me again, the boy said, tears rolling down his cheek. I knew it from the first time I saw you. Sophie was shocked that the boy recognized her, but then realized that her arms were once again smooth and young. She hadn't even noticed when the change occurred. For the first time since her curse, she realized that it didn't matter if she looked like the person she had been, if she didn't act like the person she truly was. You're safe now, 
Sophie said to the boy, pulling him into a hug. And at last, in her waking hours, Sophie knew that she was too. The end. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's, wow. That's great. Thanks. <laughs> re- oh, it's just, it's so touching and sentimental. And a, it's a, it was a complete story. It was, I liked it. That's that's fantastic. Thank you, thank you. Wow. Yeah, I I, I feel really good now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like your characters, they learned lessons, they, they went through something. There was wow. a lesson in hugging at the end, it could have been a sitcom. <laughs> oh man. Which is pretty much what this is. This is the sitcom of Miyazaki movies. <laughs> they hang out in the living room. People come in. They come out. There's Billy Crystal. There's Billy Crystal. <laughs> it was a good Billy Crystal impression, by the way. Oh, thank you. I was so pleased that we got fantastic. to hear your Billy Crystal voice. Uh, it was based yeah. solely on Mike Wachowski from Monsters Inc. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Marcus Mike Wachowski. <laughs> yeah, Marcus hasn't seen any other Billy Crystal movies, so he just assumes that Billy Crystal looks like Mike Wazowski. <laughs> well, Mike it's, it's, Wazowski. it's Mike Wazowski, and uh, it's Miracle Max from Princess Bride. <laughs> but I thought me doing Miracle Max wouldn't one be appropriate for the story, or two maybe be appropriate at all. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Good point. Oh man. So oh. Uh, this is this is interesting. Uh, no howl, no howl on this story. It was a tough cut. Which I'm okay with. So am I. I gotta say, I, I didn't miss him. Um, I, I felt good. You would, you definitely were. Uh, I could tell you were trying to hit our bonus points mm-hmm. when you were putting this together. Um, and the result was you you made a, a unique story and a self-contained story uh, with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, your your Sophie has an arc, which is great. Um, Again, with the lessons learned and the hugging at the end, I think it's actually pretty, pretty damn uh, true to the Miyazaki sort of aesthetic, um, because he makes very personal films mm-hmm. uh, about uh, individuals um, going through an experience. Um, I could definitely see you pulling a lot from your experience with uh, watching Spirited Away, mm-hmm. uh, especially. Um, especially with like the little spirits that inhabited the house, which is something we didn't, you know, talk about at all, uh, and doesn't appear in the film. Um, but it's a nice addition, very natural, um, in that you have these little uh, spirits and spiders and crumbly and everything that are, that kind of remind me of of soot sprites <laughs> in Spirited Away. Um, so I think I think you drew from a lot of good influences on this one, and the result is something that does feel very Miyazaki. So I mean, that's a success. That's, yeah, good job. Awesome, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I want to comment on the very beginning of the piece, which I thought was lovely, just the way you described everything. It immediately evoked the feeling of being there with the castle and being in the castle. The description you had of, of I wrote them down because I love them so much, the music of the gears and the how the houses of the castle agreed not to fall, you know, like through the mm-hmm. magic they agreed not to. That the, your choice of language there, it felt, um, it, it again, it, it just kind of felt the way that Miyazaki films feel. Um, you know, that's kind of magic, and that everything, everything natural, kind of has its own identity and music and and character to it. Um, it just brought a lot of character to the environment right off the bat, um, and. 
I too uh, didn't miss Howl a bit, um, but uh, I'm really glad that you had Sophie as your lead, um, and I think you very accurately depicted the inner life of that character and her primary primary conflict um, within the movie itself. Um, I think you characterized her very well um, with the how she feels about aging, and even like the lesson that she learns. Um, I don't know if we got that across. I mean, you, you, whatever, whether we said it explicitly in the pitch segment or you just kind of gleaned it from what we talked about. Whatever the case, it was very rep- it was represented in the piece that 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 inner conflict, that inner life of that character, um, and that was so beautiful. I mean, it came to such a brilliant head at the end um, with her just like pre- this situation presenting itself that allowed her to grow and make that realization. Um, you know that's that's interesting though. You you say how you like the the characterization, Andrew, of um, of how she feels about aging, and that was actually something that uh, one of the only things that I wrote down that was just uh, not like the piece mm-hmm. um, or not like the film is that her relationship with aging in uh, Howl's Moving Castle, the film. I think is a little more complicated than how it's represented. Um, Marcus, you kind of went for the natural uh, feeling of, oh, it sucks to be old. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I'm not in my own skin as an old person who, you know, my body isn't behaving the way I want it to. It's not obeying my commands. It hurts. It's it's just not me. And yet in the film, uh, I think her relationship is more that she is so much more comfortable as an old person that it's not a hindrance at all. So it's, I, I think you made a good choice with that because mm-hmm. it works very well with the with the sort of theme that you were going for and that she becomes herself at the end, which is, which is a, 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 a strong choice. Um, but I just want to point out that it isn't quite accurate. I don't think it's going to hurt you any. I'm not going to give you a lower <laughs> score for it. Uh, but it isn't quite right. See, I, I, I see what you mean, um, but I think that because we're in the inner life, and, you know, unlike the film, you know, we don't get to see what she's thinking, um, I maybe he went a bit far with it, but I do think that that came into play. And you even say early on, and I, I didn't write this down, but there was something about when the castle stopped and how she wanted to take control because Hal wasn't around, that ve- felt very clear to the character how she does feel in this leadership. She does kind of take on this leadership position, and she is very confident in that position when she gets mm-hmm. there and she's still in the old lady, you know, and mm-hmm. has the skin and the look of an old lady. Um, she's comfortable enough that she is taking leadership, but I think that it's still, even though we see that in the film, it's still communicated enough in this piece and also in the film that she's still at conflict with it it's not like she wants to stay that way for the rest of her life like the getting rid of the curse is something that they all want to accomplish sure yeah so marcus let's let's hear from you what uh, what was this process like boy it was a heck of a process because i wanted to get howl in there of course to give my my best bat voice <laughs> yeah <laughs> and but I, I realized if I was going to go after your bonus points for Turnip Head, which I liked because it presented a natural frame for the story, mm-hmm. it just wasn't a story about Hal. So bringing him in wouldn't serve much purpose. Uh, and what I I had a scene in mind where he was going to come in and still like bird mode and be like, yeah. oh, Scarecrow, he's, he's fine, but be visibly uncomfortable about being around a Scarecrow because he's a bird. 
Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> but it just didn't didn't fit in. Oh no, I'm kind of disappointed uh, <laughs> you didn't put it in. That's great. I, I, I had the one line alluding to it, like where she she Sophie says, "I don't know how he'll respond. How he'll take to having a scarecrow around." Right. But uh, didn't really get to connect that. So <laughs> once I decided that, I, I realized I wanted to do something where Turniphead's curse was tied to her curse. So she, I think the way that I interpret this, and you can interpret it differently, at the end of my story, she frees Turniphead from his curse. Her curse isn't necessarily lifted, but mm-hmm. at that point is the first time that she realizes that it doesn't matter. And the way that I saw the curse behaving was that when she's being more like her old self, when she's being selfless, when she's not preoccupied with, oh, woe is me, what bad has happened to me, that's when mm-hmm. she's youngest. So every morning, like we see in our real lives, when you wake up and you start thinking about all the stuff you've got going on that day, it just weighs down on you. And for her, it just turns her mm-hmm. into this old woman. That's yeah, good, that's good fantastic. thinking. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so so that was fun. I, I didn't get to play with as much of the magic as I would have liked. I enjoyed getting Markle in there, doing the boy and his dog. <laughs> <laughs> of course, immediately abandoning Allison. Allison! Uh, yeah, and that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that tickled uh, me. I, I had I had a lot of fun with it. I just I wanted to tell a whole story with this one. I, I think I did take some inspiration from hearing Eric's story from the graveyard book, and just what you can do with such a short amount of time. And this, although it's Miyazaki, which is a different type of tradition than what Gaiman does, there's still this fairy tale element to it, and I wanted to incorporate some of that into my writing. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think it, it comes through. There is a magical nature to this. It feels whimsical and magical in the way that the best game and stories do. Uh, and also Miyazaki, you're right, it is something that they share. Um, so I think you were very successful in that. Uh, I liked your use of uh, things we haven't necessarily seen before in sham fiction, such as that uh, there's an ellipse of time mm-hmm. uh, where we talk about several weeks later um, and we continue the story, and it doesn't feel like there's a, a break. It feels like a natural a natural inclusion. And with that, I tried to do... There's that hard break that happens between our two main scenes, but mm-hmm. I, I also tried to use some telling, not showing, to explain different periods. Mm-hmm. So weeks passed, and we just get some description of what happened instead of showing that in real time. Because yeah. mm-hmm. one of the good bits of advice I've gotten in my writing is that show, don't tell is a good guideline, but you also have to know that it costs more to show. And not just on camera where you have a budget associated, but it takes more time to show something than tell about it. So you should only show the things that are really adding impact and weight to your scene. And I tried to take advantage of that in this story. Yeah, knowing when to show versus tell is as important as, or more important probably than just trying to show everything. Right. That's a, that's a very good point. Um, so, Andrew, tell me, did uh, did Marcus hit any of your bonus points on this one? I think he did. Crumbly! <laughs> crumbly! I have a little drawing of Crumbly in my notes, too. Oh my goodness, oh my I want to see it. We'll have to post that online for people to see. Um, because I tried to pick... I'm Right now I'm trying to remember how Crumbly looks. I remember there were arms. <laughs> there were several arms. Were there wheels? What did so, crumbly? The, the idea is that Crumbly is like a head that has five arms on it and a big mouth. And the arms, the hands would interlock to make the outside of a wheel with the arms serving as spokes. 
So <laughs> it just rolls around, and when the hand goes over a crumb, it picks it up and then shoves it into the mouth before that hand is kneaded again in the rotation. Okay. Oh my gosh. The description of crumbly kind of got past me because immediately when I realized you were do- what you were doing, I got excited. <laughs> Um, he just got all hot and bothered. Yeah, you couldn't pay that's attention. That's so funny. That's such that's such a Miyazaki creature, especially like again with your familiarity with Spirited Away. Like like you see like you think of like the rolling heads in that movie. You know it, that feels mm-hmm. so. I mean, it was so weird that I was like, yes, it wasn't gooey, <laughs> it wasn't blobby, but that was okay. Um, it wasn't no, that a hat. was really fun. Um, that we had got a little bit of that. That and the spirits that Eric mentioned earlier. That was really cool. I think both of those things kind of fit in with with what I wanted. Sure. So Marcus, you got to take a picture of that, uh, that sketch you did. And we got to put that like in the text when we post the actual (laughs) fiction online on the website. Uh, we got to see that in there. All right, I, I might, I might do crumbly draft too if we're. Gonna... <laughs> All right, that's fine. Well, I shouldn't want... say that because it'll still be bad. This is a second draft. <laughs> it's okay. Forget about it. Everyone's been warned. We know it won't be good. That's fine. Uh, so your bonus you, points, Eric. Yeah, yeah. I think you you hit it because you you focused on uh, the discovery of who Turniped is, which is good. Um, I mean, you did a great job because in the movie, the turniped, I will reveal, this will be a spoiler, the turniped is just some prince from the neighboring kingdom, you know? Uh, boo. <laughs> and, and we don't, it doesn't connect to anything except sort of the war. So like, oh, I guess now that this prince shows up, the war can be over. But it's it's really weak. What you did was connected to Sophie's past and 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 it's used to shine a light on who Sophie is as a person, which is so much better from a storytelling sense than what Miyazaki actually did. So, good job. You got the points. Woo! Nice. Uh, and my my secret bonus point was that I just wanted to see Markle. Yay! I wanted to see Markle and his beard. Because <laughs> I, this is just what I wanted at the time. And you did it. You gave me great scenes with him running around with his gruff little old man voice and his old man beard saying, can we keep it, can we keep it, can we keep it? And that's... that's you did it. You got all my points. Good job. I liked your characterization of Markle because um, he was much more childlike in your story than he is in the movie. Like he's a he's kind of precocious in the movie, mm-hmm. a little wiser than his age. And in this, he was just a he was just a kid. Like, and he just get really excited about this scarecrow. Yeah, <laughs> my favorite bit, like the Allison bit, where you said Turnip has a stupid name. <laughs> Let's call yeah. him Allison. <laughs> was fantastic, right up my right up my alley. Um, uh-huh. My secret bonus points. Um, I thought maybe you would get a little into the steampunk tech, mm-hmm. and uh, get into like have maybe if Hal was going to be in the story, have him like create some sort of steampunk invention or something. Because I know that you oh, like that those sorts cool, of things. Yeah. So I was thinking maybe you would dive in that direction. Um, and again, like just right off the bat with your description of the castle, I thought maybe ooh maybe you're gonna, but. Uh, but no, you didn't. But I'm so pleased with what what actually we got out of this. So I am yep. none. The di- I'm not disappointed in any way. Marcus, if you had to put a number on it, how how many spirits do you think inhabit a large place like Howl's Castle? Just off the top of your head, ballpark figure about how many? Yeah. So I would say that there's. <laughs> Why is this a laugh? <laughs> because I know what he's doing. Oh, no. Um, I was going to say about 10 per room, so like about 10 in the hearth, 
and oh. there are multiple buildings, so there would have been hundreds in the castle. Hundreds? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, for simplicity, we're just going to go with the scale of 100, because I'm oh. going to give you my score, <laughs> obviously. See. So this is easy. This For kids at home, this is a percentage game. And out of 100, I'm going to say that you got a solid 98 out of 100 spirits Ooh. of the castle. Whoa! You gave me a full story. You gave me lessons. You gave me hugging and learning. Uh, and really, that's all that you can ask for a good story. <laughs> so thank you. I I, I think it's fantastic. Um, yeah, there's there's nothing else to say. You did a great job. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, that's that's way too high of a metric. And and Eric, I thought you were uh, I thought you were going you were leading him in a different direction. I thought you wanted him to like describe how many spirits there were. Were there a bunch? Were there a melange? Oh, right. I said the word melange Damn. in the prediction segment, and that made Eric really happy. He wanted it to be yeah. the secret word, the Pee Wee's yep. Playhouse secret word of the story. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, if, if you were to, in, if you would have included the word melange in your story, I would have given you two hundred out of one hundred <laughs> spirits of the castle. Uh, uh, I wish. I'm going to take my metric from your story, and I'm going to give you four and a half out of five crumbly arms. <gasps> <laughs> That's right. I, I don't know if the wheel will still work in this case. <laughs> I like it. But I think you can get through it. Wow, That's thank great. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you guys enjoyed this. Andrew, this, this seems like it's made you smile a bit. Uh, did you have a little bit more fun here than you did watching the movie? Uh, it just, you know, it condensed it down into, you know, a shorter amount of time, um, which was good. Uh <laughs> Um. Yeah. No. I. I don't mean to be hard on this movie. There's so much good about this movie. It just. Uh, you. You were wise in sticking with the most interesting character. There was. I mean, the movie. Sophie is the character. Like, and I. I will hand it to the film that it has a beautiful character in it with her. So I'm glad that you went in that route and explored it in such a an interesting way. It might not have been dead on as eric said with the exact conflict and the exact feel of that character but i don't know it rang true with me cool yeah so if uh if anybody out there wants to check out this film uh and and see the the amazing character of sophie as uh she was originally imagined at least by miyazaki uh check it out it's available on disney dvd and blu-ray and that's pretty much it because it's disney so so (laughs) Find it on Amazon. Find it at your local Blu-ray shop. That's yep, a thing, one right? One of those things. <laughs> your bespoke Blu-ray shop. And, uh, and yeah, any final thoughts from you, Marcus, the writer of our piece? Well, I'm, I'm excited to see this. Maybe the next time I come visit you, Eric, we can watch this together. Oh, we should. That'd be fun. It'd be lovely. It's a date. Excellent. So my, my final <laughs> thoughts is I'm just going to recommend that anybody out there that hasn't seen a lot of Miyazaki films to just go seek them out. Any of the ones that we've mentioned here mm-hmm. on the podcast today. Spirited Away, I think, is a favorite oh, yeah. of most of ours. Um, oh, yeah. It's definitely mine. Um, it's such a great, great movie, but there are many others. It's hard to find one that you're that isn't good. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. One, I will still give this one an okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's a pass. <laughs> Andrew's score... Eh, that's all right. <laughs> so yeah, check out Miyazaki. Uh, we couldn't do Spirited Away as a show because we've all seen it, but that shouldn't stop you from watching it. Oh, very So check good. it out. Yeah, yeah. and uh, thanks very much, everybody, for listening. This has been another episode of Sham Fiction, and we will check you out on the next one. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Hang on to your heads.
Sham Fiction is produced by Two Jackets Productions, which is Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Special thanks to Reed Reimer for providing the music. For a full list of episodes and to read this week's fiction, visit shamfiction.com. Follow us on Twitter at shamfiction, and please don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. Hey there, kings and queens. Amazing Andrew Neal here, and I'll be your MC for the next episode of Sham Fiction. We have quite the show for y'all. My man Eric White Chocolate Carlson will be writing, and he means not just to entertain you, but to worship you like the kings and queens you are. Turn your hat backwards, grab a pair of tearaway pants, and crake up the genuine, because we're going for a ride with the kings of Tampa. Next time on Sham Fiction.